Well, good day and welcome to a January holiday edition of our online ministry for St. Augustine's Anglican Church in Inverell. My name's Matt. It's great that you're watching with us today. Let me read these words of scripture from John chapter 1 as we begin. These are words that if you were with us on Christmas Day, you would have heard. From John 1 verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Well, there is the essence of the Christian faith right there in one verse. Jesus, our sin-taking, sacrificial Lamb of God. Let's go to a time of praise. Rejoice, the Lord is King, your Lord and King adore. Mortals give thanks and sing and triumph evermore. Lift up your heart, lift up your voice, rejoice again, I say. Rejoice again 
Let's pray as we come to hear from God's word. Our Lord God, we praise you for creating man and still more for restoring him in Christ. Your son shared our weakness and we share his glory for he lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Well, our Bible readings today start in the Old Testament with Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 through to 17. And then we go to Psalm 91, verses 1 through to 4. And finally, our New Testament reading, which I'll share with us from in just a moment, is from John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 35 to 51. That's John 1, 35 to 51. Pause the video, have a read of those right now, and then we'll come back and I'll share with us. Let's pray as we come to think about God's words together now. Heavenly Father, uh, please open our eyes and our hearts that we might understand the Lord Jesus and follow him fully in our lives. Help us to hear you as you speak to us and respond in the way that we need to. Amen. Well, no one wants to be called a sheep. I've spent plenty of time in, in workshops around boilermakers and so I know that there's plenty of worse things to be called in the world, but still, no one wants to be called a sheep. Except on social media, uh, we don't want to be known as followers. We want to be independent. We want to be unique. We want to be pioneers and write our own stories. We want to be in charge of our own lives. And so what do we do then as we encounter in the Bible Jesus who says to us, come follow me. And maybe you're sitting here today, you're watching and you like the idea of Jesus as saviour. But you're not so keen on the idea of Jesus as a Lord and the need to follow him and do what, what he wants you to do. So we do, we, do we follow Jesus? Do we even want to follow Jesus? I think it's easy to say that we do, but maybe harder to, to actually live out in practice. Perhaps a better question is, am I actually following Jesus in my life? Maybe you've got hang-ups, maybe you've got reservations, maybe you've got doubts that his way is the best way. Maybe I still just want to be the boss of my own life. But make no mistake, Jesus wants you to follow him with your life. Just as he did the people he physically met back in the first century. He calls you to follow him. And now here in John's Gospel, we get, we're given a little snapshot, an introduction, if you like, into what it looks like to follow Jesus. And we see that as we meet a few people that Jesus met. And the first thing we see here in these verses is that followers of Jesus don't just have head knowledge, but they respond to what they hear. We can see that in verses 35 to 41. Now we're picking up off the back of where we finished last week at Christmas time. Last week, we heard the witness of John the Baptist about Jesus, and here we continue the story. Verse 35, we see that John is still here, and, he's, and some of his own disciples are with him. Now, a disciple is not just a student, not just someone who wants to, to learn some information. But in the, in the first century, a disciple is someone who seeks to follow after and become like their master. Being a disciple... It's a whole way of life thing. And they're pretty common in the ancient world. And so verse 36, seeing Jesus, John here cries out, Look, the Lamb of God. And again, if you were here with us last week at Christmas time, you'd know that he said the same thing back in verse 29. And you'd also know that this odd description for Jesus, that it's filled with meaning. Meaning that comes from Isaiah chapter 53. It means that, 
Jesus is the one who enters into our world as a sacrifice. He takes the punishment of our sin on our behalf. The punishment for our rejection of God, the punishment for lives that lived saying, God, I don't want to do things your way. I want to do things my way. Jesus is the sacrificial lamb who, in dying on the cross, dies in our place and opens the way up for us to come into relationship with the God of the universe, to stand forgiven before him. And this is massive. This is what John is saying here. The lamb of God. Well, that's who Jesus is. The very son of God who came into earth to dwell with us and fix our deepest need. And in that end, John the author is telling us that John the Baptist is a witness. And in fact, the author John keeps bringing up this idea of witness and testimony because a verdict needs to be made. As you read this, as you hear the witness, who do you say Jesus is? So, John here, he's a witness. He's not trying to, tr trying to draw attention to himself. He's trying to point you to Jesus. And what we see in verse 37 then is God's pattern of salvation, of saving people. Have a look. Verse 37. When the two disciples, that's John's disciples, heard him say this, they followed Jesus. They hear the witness, but they follow Jesus. And so, don't be disciples of a messenger. Don't be disciples of a, of a church or spiritual leader. Be disciples of Jesus. Now, Billy Graham was a great evangelistic preacher in the last century. Uh, in an age where most people were already still going to church, he preached compellingly of their need to find him as their saviour and make a personal decision for Jesus themselves. Billy Graham drew in crowds of thousands of people. He filled up stadiums both here in Australia and overseas. And as he left Australia in 1959 after his first crusade here, he went to the airport and there was crowds of people who came to bid him farewell and they asked him to share something. And he spoke briefly from John 1.37, this verse here, where the people hear John, but they follow Jesus. Billy knew that he wasn't deserving of fame and honour, but Jesus is. And so this is the pattern. We hear John, we hear Billy, you hear Matt or you hear Adam, but you follow Jesus. And that's what some of John the Baptist's disciples do. They start to follow the one who John is pointing to. They don't let what they hear about Jesus simply be head knowledge, but they respond to it. And maybe, maybe that's what some of you need to do, some of you who are watching. And maybe you've, you've been watching or, or been in church all of your life or nearly all of your life and you've never actually put what you know into action. You've never decided for Jesus yourself. Or maybe that's not you. Maybe this is one of the first times you're watching or the very first time you're tuning in. If it is, it's great to have you. But maybe you're still trying to work out who Jesus is for yourself. If either one of those is you, I want to ask you, how are you going to respond to Jesus today? What do you make of his testimony? Are you going to act on what you've heard? Well, verse 40 here tells us that one of John's disciples who started following Jesus, his name was Andrew. And he continued to act on what he heard. For him, this was good news, too good not to share. 
And so he shares it with his brother. And we see it in verse 41. He says to his brother, Simon, we have found the Messiah. And so he brings him to Jesus. And Jesus gives his brother, Simon, a new name. He calls him Peter. Now, Peter literally means rock. And while he's compulsive at first, we see when we get to Acts, Peter eventually becomes a, a pillar, a rock, a leader for the early church. Now, you might, you might see Peter here, listed here, and see the way he gives his life to Jesus and be going, man, who am I compared to a guy like Peter following Jesus? I mean, he wrote books of the Bible, for goodness sake. But as we keep reading in our passage today, we, what we see next, it should, it should give us comfort. Because it, it feels a little more closer to home. It's not just the extraordinary or, or the gifted people who follow Jesus in this kind of way. Now, what we find next is that it's ordinary people who are followers of Jesus. Ordinary people who are transformed. And so look at verse 43 with me. It says, The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. Now, we might be tempted to think that, you know, Jesus handpicks Philip. He must be a pretty great guy. There must be something pretty extraordinary about him, right? Wrong. As we keep reading through John's gospel of Jesus' life, Philip lacks courage. He responds to Jesus' questions in a way that shows he's just an ordinary guy. We would respond the way that he does. He asks, he asks questions then that show that he, like everyone else, just totally fails to grasp who Jesus really is. What stands out about Philip is that he's ordinary. The remarkable thing about him is that he's unremarkable. And perhaps that's how you feel about yourself today. And yet Jesus, here, finding Philip, Mr. Average, he says to him, follow me. So this is the call for everyone. If you're here today, if you're watching along, Jesus says, follow me. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how worthy you think you are, because the truth is, none of us are worthy to stand beside, the God, beside God the Son and call him our friend and our saviour. Whether you're on top of the world or down in the dumps, whether you think you have all the love you could ever possibly want or you feel alone at the moment. It doesn't matter if you're young or you're old, whether this is the first time you've watched along with church or if you've seen along or been in church thousands of times, this call of Jesus is for everyone. It's for you. Jesus says, follow me. And follow me also, it's not just a call for those who haven't yet trusted Jesus with their lives. It's a call for those who are Christians now and who have been trusting him. It's a call to keep following me. Now, one of the Bible's words for someone who follows Jesus is a disciple, just like these guys here are disciples. And discipleship is, the, is what the Christian life is all about. It's about coming to Jesus in faith and then continuing to grow as you develop as a follower of him in love and knowledge of him, becoming more and more Christ-like in our lives as we're transformed by the power of his spirit and word. And I think that no matter how long we've been a Christian in our lives, we all need to hear this fresh call again to follow me that Jesus issues here. Because experience from my own life and 
from watching others is that when Christians aren't growing in their relationship with Jesus, they don't kind of stand still. Rather, it's the opposite that happens. They start to, to backslide. They begin failing to trust him in, as Lord in all sorts of ways in their life, both big and full and small. They fail to live it out. And so we need to continually follow Jesus, continually be sitting at his feet and letting our lives be transformed by that powerful word and spirit. We see here that followers of Jesus, they are ordinary people who have been transformed. And we see that in Philip, in his, in his life as well. He's not just a disciple, he is now a disciple-making disciple. Just as Andrew went out and found his brother Simon and shared, him, shared with him Jesus, so Philip now goes out and finds his friend Nathaniel and points him to Jesus as well. And now, this isn't just a role for the super-spiritual Christians, or for, or for Christian leaders, or for those who are really, really good at it. No, this is a role for ordinary people who have encountered Jesus' love. People like Philip. People like me. People like you. In fact, we see Jesus' mission call at the end of Matthew's Gospel. Right before he ascends, he says this to his followers in Matthew 28. He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am always with you to the very end of the age. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are called to be a disciple-making disciple. Now, since I mentioned Billy Graham earlier, I'll, I'll mention him again. He's one of the greatest evangelists that our world has ever seen. But I wonder if you know who first prompted him to check out Jesus. You probably don't. It's probably someone you've never heard of. He's a relative nobody. His name was Albert McMakin. And he was simply a worker on Billy's dad's dairy farm. Now, Albert McMakin, he wasn't a talented or gifted evangelist. He simply took an opportunity to encourage Billy to go and check out Jesus. And without... Albert's concern for the lost. Without his heart to have Billy know Jesus as his Lord and Saviour, Billy might never have gone on to lead millions of others to trust in Jesus himself. Now, we may not all be Billy Grahams, but we can be Albert McMakins with the people we know in our lives. We can be people who love our neighbours, who desire our friends and family to know the good news of Jesus and have a chance to respond to it as well. And we see in verse 45, Philip here, he doesn't trick his friend into coming to meet Jesus. He doesn't just hope that maybe one day he'll believe in, in Jesus without giving him any reason to. He says in verse 45 here, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, in our situation, this might be stopping to sit down and read the Bible with a non-Christian friend. To see how God's story of promise goes on to find its fulfillment in the person of Jesus. It might be an invitation to encounter Jesus for themselves. And perhaps that's why you originally started going to church. Or perhaps that's why you're watching with us today. Maybe a friend has invited you along. But maybe hearing all this about Jesus. 
I mean, you've still got some doubts, you've still got some concerns, some lingering questions. Perhaps there's some things that you're still skeptical about. Not sure if you really want Jesus in your life. Not sure if you can trust the Bible or how it holds up against science or, or how you can trust that Jesus was even a real person. Maybe you think you're just not quite ready yet. And some of these questions aren't just ones that people ask who don't yet have a relationship with Jesus. Some of these, I know Christians watching today will be asking as well. They'll have their own hangups, their own doubts, not sure how to reconcile this thing they're thinking about with the Christian faith. Well, as we get to the last section here now, I want you to see that Jesus wants you to come to him with your doubts and your questions. Because in verse 46, Philip, when he tells Nathanael about Jesus of Nazareth, Nathanael scoffs, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Now, I'm a keen St. George Illawarra Dragon supporter, and so I might scoff and go, Penrith, can anything good come from Penrith? All right, and so there might be some kind of intertown rivalry going on for Nathaniel, but whatever it is, the point is, he's skeptical. He's got doubts about Jesus. But when Jesus encounters him, he doesn't push him away. He doesn't say, you got doubts. You don't belong with me. No, he says in verse 47, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Jesus is saying that Nathaniel is a transparent and honest man. He says that he's not duplicious. Even in his doubt, he has a willingness, Nathaniel does, to come and examine this Jesus and examine the claims of him himself. And if you've got doubts, as you watch today, I hope that you are watching with that same kind of openness that Nathaniel has. Bring your questions to the Jesus who we see on the pages of Scripture and see how he interacts with them. Now, as Nathaniel meets Jesus, he's actually taken by a shock. Because Jesus knows something about him that he shouldn't possibly know. In verse 48, he says, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Now, we don't know what Nathaniel was doing under the fig tree, whether he was praying, whether he was asking God for a sign, whether he was having some kind of spiritual experience. We just don't know. John doesn't tell us. But we, the point of what he wants to say is that Jesus had some kind of spiritual, supernatural insight rather, into Nathaniel's life. And recognizing this, Nathaniel ends up doing, doing a complete 180 degree turn. Verse 49, he says, Rabbi, teacher, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. You see, Nathaniel, he comes to Jesus with his doubts, with his questions, and he leaves proclaiming that Jesus is God, that he is the savior of the world. I want you to see that the Christian faith, it invites your questions. I think that it actually stands up to scrutiny. In fact, that invitation from Jesus earlier to come and follow me, like for, the, for those disciples in verse 39, it's an invitation to follow Jesus even when we don't know the way ahead. You don't need to have all the answers to start following him. But you do need to step out in faith. Trusting in the eyewitness testimony we have about him here. Trusting what he says about himself. Well, our passage has one more little amazing detail that, that jumps up right at the end. 
Now, when Nathaniel responds to Jesus' supernatural knowledge, Jesus says, you haven't seen anything yet. He says, have a look, verse 50. You believe, because I told you, you, I saw you under the fig tree, you will see greater things than that. And so for us, as we keep reading from the start of the very next chapter, the author, John, he begins to, to record some of the miraculous signs that Jesus performs while he was on earth. Signs that he performs that show us just a little glimpse of his true identity and purpose while he's here on earth. And they, cult, they culminate in the ultimate signs of his death, his resurrection, and his ascension back to heaven. These are ultimately the greater things that Jesus, Jesus is saying Nathaniel will see. And they're the basis for anyone's true faith. And then finally, Jesus adds in verse 51, he says, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, this is a reference to what uh, came up in our Old Testament reading today. You see, back almost 2,000 years earlier, before Jesus, his great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather, Jacob, was given a dream. And in a dream, he saw a stairway that connected heaven and earth. In Genesis 28, verse 12, he says, And on that, on that stairway, on that ladder, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And then Jesus here, he takes that exact quote, exactly what Jacob saw, except he replaces the idea of that ladder, that stairway, with one of his favorite names of himself, the Son of Man. And so the point being made here is that there is one decisive connection between heaven and earth. And that is Jesus. Jesus is that ladder. When Jesus died on the cross, taking your sin in your place, bearing the wrath of God, he opens the way for you to be reconciled with God. Through faith in his death, he brings you into a loving relationship with the ruler of the world. And so there is only one way to heaven. It's not through your good works. It's not simply because you exist and have breath in your lungs. It's not true that all good dogs go to heaven. Now, the only way to be reconciled to God is through Jesus. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to be a disciple by trusting in his death for you. And so being a disciple means that firstly, we are trusting him as our savior, but it also means that we are giving our lives to him as Lord, taking up the call to be a disciple, growing in knowledge, love, and dependence on him. And as followers of Jesus, we look forward then to the day when the sky will be pulled back, peeled back for all to see Jesus in his full glory. The glory of the one who not only made us, but entered into our world because he loves us. To give up his life for you and for me. It's this same Jesus then who calls us to give up our lives to trust and follow him. Now it may be one of the most popular things in our current culture and society to be independent, to be self-defining. It may not be the most popular thing to be a follower. But there's no one I'd rather follow than the one who would give up his life for mine. Rather than myself, this is the one that I want to follow. Let's pray. Heavenly God, 
Help us to see Jesus clearly as we keep opening the pages of your word. Help us to not just know Jesus in our minds, but to know him in our hearts, to actually take action on that knowledge and trust him as our Lord and Saviour. Father, help us to be devoted to to the Lord Jesus as disciples and become disciple-making disciples like we see with Andrew and Philip. And Father, help us that no matter what's going on in our lives, no matter what doubts we have, no matter what questions we have, to bring them to the foot of the cross as we examine, as we encounter the Jesus that we meet. Father, help us to be people who see your glory as the most important thing for our lives. To be all about you and not ourselves. Father, please let that be the marks of our church. Lord, we pray all these things, trusting in the name of Jesus who died for us. Amen. Well, we finally go now to a time of praise.
Well, it's great that you've joined us today. And as you go, remember to be trusting Jesus as both your Saviour and your Lord, uh, living for him, the one who died for you. Uh, go in peace. Uh, have a great week. Look forward to seeing you next time.